Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Brian. The real estate market is crazy. Finding an agent you can trust isn't easy. Thankfully, the one thing I'm more certain of than Brian Schottenheimer calling a running play on second and long is that you can trust John Hurlbut and his team in Altitude Homes. I know John personally, and nobody does it better in Pierce, South King, and Thurston County. So head on over to altitude-re.com HB to get real estate help you need. That's altitude-re.com HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. Again, that's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S. and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com, click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. All right. Hello and welcome, Seahawks fans. It is that time. It is both Wednesday, which you know is Real Hawk Talk Day, and it is the first week of the 2019 regular season, and we've got a great podcast for you tonight. I am Brian Emhauser, as you know, at HawkBlogger on Twitter. Uh, we've got our, our normal crew. Uh, Jeff Simmons will be joining here in just a minute. We've got Evan Hill at Evan Hill SEA. Welcome, Evan. Thanks. Glad to have a have a fun guest on board for tonight's show. It'll be it'll be fun. Yes, it will. And uh, there's Jeff. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? How's Toronto treating you? That's all right, man. How are you? Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you just fine, man. Um, and then we've got uh, Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11, the newly optimistic 11 win predicting Nathan Ernst. Welcome to the show. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> And uh, probably most exciting, uh, not most, probably, definitely most exciting, we've got Joe Fan of NBC Sports uh, Northwest on with us, one of the newest, and I'm not shy to say it, already one of the best Seahawks beat reporters we've got um, going on right now uh, on the show. Joe, welcome to uh, Real Hawk Talk. Yeah, Brian, fellas, appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate the kind words. I don't know if I'm deserving of, of that yet, but uh, I've enjoyed it so far, man. It's been a really fun, what, month, month and a half so far on the Seahawks beat and trying to get up to speed quickly, but appreciate you guys welcoming me in and uh, and yeah, pumped to be here. Cool, cool, yeah. And, and for folks that have not followed Joe, uh, he is at Joe underscore F-A-N-N. That's two N's and an underscore. He threw in a couple... <laughs> curveballs for folks but we're gonna get people to your account and uh he is a must follow if you're seahawks fan so 
Uh, Joe, uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into this role. If I remember right, the first time I saw it was you were announced and you had 49ers stuff all over your social account. I think the first thing I said is, can you can you change some of that? <laughs> I did, yeah. So I've been kind of all over. Uh, man, out of college, I interned for the Hawks in 2012. I also did some work at UW as a PA announcer for three sports there. I then went to the, the Titans and covered the Titans for one year as their kind of their website part-time writer. Basically, I was John Boyle, but part-time. Um, and then I got hired by the Niners, what, in 2015. I was there for four years. So I was like what John Boyle is and like Jackie Montgomery and Jen Mueller, like combined. So I did like all the video um, and then the writing as well. And then just this past off season, uh, a few things come my way. Um, I was kind of eager to get outside of the team side, just kind of flex your journalistic muscles a little bit. And, um, you know, as much as I love my opportunity there, um, um, they never had a full-time Seahawks insider. Aaron Fentress previously covered them a little bit along with the Ducks. He's since moved to the Athletic, and now uh, I'm here. I'm the only uh, Seahawks or only NBC Sports Northwest employee based in Seattle, so I'm here full-time. I live in Ballard, and uh, there every day and, and loving it so far. It's been uh, quite the journey, but I'm from Buffalo originally, so to be back home is uh, pretty pumped about that for sure. Yeah, I was going to ask you what your connection was uh, to uh, to Seattle, but that's that's pretty cool to to get that opportunity. Um, so did did you? I might have missed it in that because I was trying to fix a little technical challenge. But uh, did you grow up a Seahawks fan by any chance? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I actually, I would say I was kind of late to the game when it came to football. I was I was Mariners first, like I had a diehard Mariners fan, love baseball. Then it was hoops. Um, and then I, I really wasn't a, a big Seahawks fan, I would say, um, until uh, right before the Matt Hasselbeck era. And then obviously, I mean, they were just so bad during the 90s. And then obviously, you, know, you get that run where you're going to the Super Bowl and everyone starts paying attention. But um, and then from there on, I mean, I was all about it and diehard. And um, I went to school in Southern California. But, you know, obviously, we stayed locked in what was happening with the Hawks. And then the opportunity to to intern intern there in 2012 was was really cool as well and then you know, being back is 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 awesome so i it's been a crazy journey uh who knows where it goes from here but for the time being uh, i'm pretty pumped about about being up here in seattle cool cool so one of the things i've noticed is uh you know there are some folks that cover teams and they cover them for a long time and they kind of just regurgitate you know what the quotes are that they're coming out from press conferences and and um uh you seem to have a different take. I've noticed even like your roster predictions were different than what a lot of people had. You and I were talking about whether Austin Calicho was going to make it. We were talking about, you know, Malik Turner and, and where that was going to fit. Um, you know, what's your approach uh, coming in here? What, what do you, what's the angles that you're looking for as you're starting to cover the team? Um, I think my approach one is, I mean, don't pretend you're the smartest guy in the room and be afraid to learn or don't be afraid to learn and hear other people's opinions and, um, you know, change your opinions. And I think, you know, one, you don't want to be wishy-washy because, no, that's not, just not good content. But you also don't want to have super – I mean, I'm not a big hot take guy. But, you know, if I have an opinion, like, there's no wrong, there's nothing wrong with being wrong. And it's okay to admit that you're wrong. And, you know, you take shots and some of them you're going to get right and some of them you're not going to get right. And I remember, you know, talking about Austin Kalicho as a guy, you know, I felt really confident he was the two deep at all three spots. And, you know, when it comes out that you learn different things, right? I talked to Shaquem Griffin today and he's saying, you know, there was a miscommunication – with the training staff and the coaching staff and Pete Carroll, where I, I didn't have any setback. There was nothing wrong with my knee Thursday night. I was just told I wasn't going to play defense where Pete Carroll was under a different impression. All of a sudden we're kind of left thinking, shoot, it, you know, Shaq or Shaquem has this uh, super mysterious knee injury. And that sounds like, man, we, Pete Carroll, captain optimism doesn't sound very positive about this. So it, 
it just seems logical. Like short-term IR would be the way where you, one, you could stash him on the roster, then two, it would open up a roster spot for other guys. And so, you know, when details come out like that, it's like, all right, I got that one wrong, but like, why'd you get it wrong? You know, does it make sense? Were you way off base or is it just something that, you know, you couldn't have known. So I think it's fun. I enjoy the banter. I enjoy being on social media. I mean, I pretty open and honest as we've learned today, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's, I think it's more fun that way. It should be a community. It should be sharing of opinions and there's ways to do that and disagree in a healthy manner. And I certainly am always, I'm going to be wrong plenty of times. Um, I you know, don't have an ego about it, but um, you know, I still want to put out engaging content and fun content and maybe have a, a different take than what others have and um, you know, enjoy talking about it for sure. So, you know, I will let the other guys jump in here in a second. I just, uh, you know, you're talking about being right and wrong and you know, I also may be right and wrong. We, for folks that do not know, uh, I, I have a bet in place with everyone here, other than Jeff, who, who he, he's welcome to join the bet even late, about who is going to have the second most targets on the Seahawks this year. And uh, everybody on this show, other than me, has DK Metcalf doing that. Now, at the time, both Jerome Brown and David Moore were healthy and part of the team. As of our last podcast this weekend, Jerome Brown was not on a team. And I was looking like, feeling the heat a little bit. Brown resigns. I'm like feeling better. And then we see the starting lineups from depth chart. Looks like DK Metcalf. What are, jokes aside, we'll, we'll figure out the free bill one of the stakes. Whoever loses has to pay everyone else's Matador bill, which includes nachos, steak nachos, and all the margaritas that we end up getting consume so i may have a very expensive bill uh either way i, I win that's what you get for gloating on twitter weeks before the season starts <laughs> i cannot i cannot wait i cannot wait to empty to, to empty brian's retirement funds with Kevin. <laughs> i cannot even tell you i cannot even tell you how excited i am uh so based on your current expectation what do you think how do you think they're going to run three receivers if they have two receivers on the field who are they going to be if they have three receivers on the field, who are they going to be? Yeah, uh, I think for stars, it's two. I think it's going to be DK and health permitting, obviously, and then it's going to be Lockett. And then I think you throw Jerome Brown in three receiver sets, maybe throw Tyler Lockett in the slot, and maybe you give Ursua some runs on third down where you feel like you can get a you know beat a guy in quick five yard out and, and and you know get that done, move the chains for you. I think you know, I'm interested to see how they use him early on. I don't think it's going to be. I think it's going to be sparingly to begin with. But the reason why I said that and. I feel so confident about DK being the number two guy is that, I mean, I, I've covered the NFL was my sixth year, which by no means is makes me the end all be all. I mean, people have been covering the NFL for far longer, but like I, there's just a standard rule when it comes to rookies and it's like undersell, cool down the height, pump the brakes on all that. And it's just like, they haven't done anything yet. Let's lead to a game. They look okay, but they've got a long way to go. I mean, you know, the talking points that the coaches go with for even the most impressive rookies. And the Seahawks have done that with all of their rookies except for DK Metcalf. And I've never heard a team from coaches, offensively, defensively, head coach, players, Russell Wilson included, glow about a rookie the way people talk about DK Metcalf. And I, I think they just want him to, they expect him to be great. I think they expect him to be great right now. Um, and so I think they're going to be right away, a couple deep shots in week one, look for him in the red zone. Um, and I don't think they're going to be insane numbers, but I don't think it's going to be a huge bar to clear David Moore and Jerome Brown. I think today I put in my mailbag, 45 receptions, 715 yards, five touchdowns, I think is a pretty safe floor for DK Metcalf, assuming he's healthy for all 16 games. Joe, I have two very, very important questions for you. Number one, 
have you seen DK Metcalf in person with his shirt off? <laughs> you don't have to answer that, Joe. <laughs> you have not. Okay. Okay. So that's that's part one of my very important number one question. How intimidating is Metcalf in person? We see the photos of him being, you know, a giant size. Is he as big as the photos appear? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to use the word intimidating um, <laughs> on the football field with him. Uh, but like, he's a yeah, he's gigantic, 100%. I mean, he's just huge. You see him walk by. I mean, Jazz Ferguson, too. You're like, my goodness. Those I'm 6'3", I'm not short, and those guys are just massive. And, I mean, the guy's built like LeBron James. I mean, he's just absolutely jacked, super tall. Um, I mean, he looks like a guy who's like, yeah, that, that guy looks like he's going to be a stud. Um, you know, obviously, there's got to be some polish on the routes that, you know, you hope he gains this year and next and, the, and down the road. But there's no reason with that athletic profile, again, health permitting, because he's shown in college – and shown early on with the Seahawks that health is an issue for him. There's no reason why he can't be a productive NFL wide receiver. He might not be Calvin Johnson in year one, but compared to what else is around the league, I mean, that size profile alone and what we've seen in preseason training camp, I mean, that guy can be effective in week one. Follow-up question to that. You know, you've been on the beat only for, you said month, month and a half now since your announcement um, you're early on the beat, but behind the scenes, who's been your most, how should I say, receptive or fun player interview so far? Who, who do you enjoy talking to the most? Man, that's a good question. Uh, let me think real quick. Uh, I will. Let me shamelessly plug some content. Uh, I got a little mini feature coming out on Tyler Lockett tomorrow. Um, mm. He was super gracious with his time, gave me like 40 minutes and um, really going to pull out a three-part series. One on his, like, kind of he's got a really unique approach with how he, uh, one, approaches the game and two, approaches you know, being a number one receiver, being the go-to guy, if he feels pressure, expectations, all that. Two, he's kind of a renaissance man. He's got a lot of outside interest and a lot of that stuff's out there, but got to take a deep dive on, on what he likes to do away from football. And three, just what he does in the community and how he impacts, you know, his community in Tulsa. So I really enjoyed talking with him. I uh, had a good conversation with KJ Wright today um, for a story coming out tomorrow. Just, I asked him and early in the season, he was or early in training camp, he was saying, we're going to have to blitz a lot because we don't have another choice kind of acknowledging the pass rush might not be what it's been in years past. And I said, all right, well, now you have Jadavian Clowney. It looks like Ansa's going to be ready week one. Does that change? And he says, nothing changes. We're still going to go about this. We're still going to be aggressive. We're still going to be a part of the pass rush from a blitzing standpoint. And just kind of the mechanics behind that, whether they're called or instinct plays, or you're just, you know, know, letting your eyes, you know, make your reads for you and and kind of go on instinct. Um, So I think those two so far have been a couple of really entertaining conversations that I've had. And, so far, everyone's been everyone's been really welcoming and kind, and I haven't come across anybody who I haven't enjoyed. Too. Both Griffin brothers are great. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been it's a really nice, uh, neat locker room from what I've uh, experienced so far. Similar to what Evan said, I'm sure you had a perception of Pete Carroll and this program and Russell coming from all those years in the Niners. What's been the biggest surprise that just uh, didn't expect coming over here? I'm gonna be honest. I don't, I don't know if there's anything that's surprising. I think I was, you know, an intern here in 2012, Russ's rookie year. So you got to know kind of the Pete Carroll isms and how Russell Wilson was. And, um, you know, I think what you just get, because when you're kind of from afar, if you're not a fan of the Seahawks or cover the Seahawks or around it every day, there's a part of that can seem kind of phony. Um, you know, it's like, my goodness, like no one's that optimistic, but it's like, my goodness, those two guys are that optimistic. And, um, you know, when Pete Carroll's at the podium today saying, you know, I, I feel more locked in and connected throughout this offseason and going into this year than I feel like I've 
I've ever felt. And he's like, I've heard, I'm sure I've said that before, but I really do mean it. And, you know, you can feel that uh, just how invigorated he is. And with, you know, with Russ, I mean, he's authentic I and mean, he's authentically optimistic and it's wild. And you think like, this guy's got to be putting on an act, putting on a show and he's not. And, you know, why is Pete Carroll called the program? That's a college thing, but my goodness, he is so dedicated to that program and what he believes in and what he and John Schneider have established. And I mean, the results uh, in the way they've, you know, they've never had to rebuild. They've just keeping retooling and, and moving forward to me is you can't help but respect it. Whatever your opinion is on either of them. I don't know how automatically you don't just say like, they have my respect because of what they've accomplished. I guess follow up to that. Um, I'm from Toronto. I know a bunch of fans. Unlike well, the, the other three guys, most of their buddies are probably Seahawks fans. My buddies are all fans of different teams. Okay. I got a buddy who's a Niners fan. He's so pissed. Like you switch sides. <laughs> how is your Twitter? How's your Twitter reaction been? Like you pulled the reverse Richard Sherman. Yeah, man, that was wild. You know, what was funny was I, I said I was leaving on a Friday and it, I, my contract wasn't yet done. I, I knew I was going, I was gone. I was, but like, I, I couldn't announce it yet. Like NBC sports wanted to announce. So I, I was like, I'm leaving it's my last day. So I need to announce. And it was like all love. It was like, we're going to miss you so much. Like, we love you. Like, don't go. And then I was like, man, that's so nice. Like, it's just good to hear. Like you did a good job and people appreciate your content. And then Monday came around and I was like, excited for my next step. And then we covered the, the Seahawks for NBC sports. And it was like, Oh my God, the whole pendulum just turned to the completely other side. Like one, no one knows how to spell traitor with a T. It's all traitor. Like I'm, like I'm the grocery store. So that was a joke. That was good. I, I'm Trader Joe's. Uh, two, like I, it was like, I, like I guess when I just I signed him. When you work for the team, you sign up for this lifetime contract or something. But like it was just this impression. Like I, I guess I was never supposed to leave. Uh, and then thirdly i think just because i was the team guy people assumed that like i left the niners for like a john boyle's job um i just try to like guys like yeah i i'm trying to get through to you like i don't work for the team and this is a move to a network side and like you know one i'm excited to go home it had nothing to do with like i'm desperate to cover the seahawks that's not how this industry works you don't get to choose where you go you don't get to choose where the opportunities are and i got lucky that there's an opportunity that one got me out of the team side with a network like NBC and then two brought me home with a, a team that I know very well. Um, you know, players that I'm familiar with a franchise I'm familiar with media members I'm familiar with. So it all worked out in a perfect storm, but people who had this, like, Oh, you had this planned all along that you were going to leave us and be a traitor. It's like, I, mean, I wish I had that all planned, but this is not how it works. And, but truthfully, a lot of, a lot of 49er fans were really supportive and were like, Hey, you know, whether I follow you or not, we wish you the best. We're pumped for you. Thanks for everything. And like, so I don't, I don't want to say it was all bad. I mean, there were still plenty of people who were, who were really psyched for me. And I, I, I love my time there genuinely. Um, I mean, it was a great organization that was really good to me. It was my first full-time job. And so they gave me a, a huge opportunity and um, you know, it just makes for fun banter on social media. And as I've exhibited, I, I'm all for fun banter. So along those lines, yeah. favorite and least favorite parts of Seahawks Twitter. Favorite and least favorite. Oh man. There's a right answer here. Just so you know. <laughs> uh i'm gonna avoid the least favorite for the time being as the new guy i'm gonna i'm gonna be diplomatic about that we know it's so people all right on evan's food takes it's <laughs> analytics it's then, analytics twitter my favorite part i think it's just there's a lot of banter i mean there's like it's 
constant and it's thorough and it has nothing to do with football sometimes <laughs> and you know like, i'm down for it. like today like just the banter off of the like what i have never eaten in my life tweets like that was awesome like just bring it you want to come at me bring it on i'm ready for it and so uh i've enjoyed it so far i know there's so far there's no downside or at least none that i want to speak to yet have you honestly never eaten a mcdonald's hamburger like never ever i haven't in my, i have i've i've eaten burgers or i've eaten sorry i've eaten mcdonald's a ton of times not like i avoid mcdonald's growing up like after every baseball game soccer game whatever it's like parents don't want to cook let's go to mcdonald's but every time chicken nuggets chicken nuggets chicken nuggets chicken nuggets then i graduated to making chicken because it was on the dollar menu and so i've just always been an if it ain't broke don't fix it guy and like i love burgers it's not like i actively avoid burgers from mcdonald's but like do i want a burger or do i want chicken nuggets i want chicken nuggets every time so, so, uh, so what's the every best so what's the best burger chain in america yeah it's in and out 100 percent I don't know, Burger Master. Although, you know good. what? I haven't tried Shake Shack yet, and I heard Shake Shack's unbelievable. Shake Shack's real good. Um, Five Guys is insanely overrated. The burgers fall apart. They're too greasy. The fries are really good, and you get free peanuts when you go in, which is a big plus because I feel like I'm in a baseball game. And they have milkshakes. Their milkshakes are better than In-N-Out. Just the burger. Strictly the burger. In-N-Out is far superior. A double-double is a magical experience, and I will not be convinced. But, but, but wait, have you been to Red Mill? Local. I went to Red Mill a long, long time ago. But does that count? That's like a burger. Well, I'm just saying you got to bring that in. Evan's allergic to peanuts, so he can't do it half the things you were just talking about. But like, you got to bring Red Mill back into your rotation and then come back to us and tell us what you think. Okay. I had Ballard Brothers recently and I had Little little Woody's over the weekend. Little Woody's was really good. Okay. Um, Burger Master, though, we have to stand Burger Master. One of the sponsor of the show, Burger Master. It's not a double double. Brian, it's not a double double. Okay, okay, I agree with that, but it's the best burger chain from the state of Washington. Uh, let me get back to you on that. <laughs> I also have no problem with dicks. Here's a, I'm, I'm, I'm really easy. Oh, I'm not, I'm not a food serious. snob at all. I'm not a food snob. Okay, but people claim dicks. Like, all the local Seattleites are like, oh, dicks is the most underrated local chain, national chain. It's better than everything else. No, it's not. This is the most professional show you're ever going to be a guest on. Just Stop so you, it. You just realize that, Joe, even the Dicks. mistake that you've made. Dix is fine. I've made it's it. Like- this is the pinnacle of my career for sure. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Joe, I know we got to let you go. Um, I do have to say, I was a little surprised to hear you say that you played baseball and, and all those sports. With your name, I figured you'd just be watching. Uh, <laughs> So, you know what's fun? I'll tell you the story. Everyone wants to talk about my name. I never thought anything of it uh, until I got to college. I, after my freshman year, I interned at 710 ESPN and I dropped over spring break. I dropped them off on my, res- off, off on my resumes like KJR, 710, other spots because I wanted a summer internship. And uh, KJ, not KJR, uh, 710 got back to me and their program director called me and I knew I had this phone interview. And so I'm in my dorm room, so nervous. And he called me and he's an East Coast guy. His name's Owen Murphy. Hey, is this Joe? Like, yes, sir. This is this is Joe. I'm like, I'm, you know, 18, 19 year old me, like nervous as hell. And uh, and he's like, you know, what what the f bomb is is that your real name? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it is. I, I just was thrown off, and then obviously ever since, like every every first time radio hit, Joe Barron, is that your real name? Like. Hey, is that your real name? Or it's like, yeah, it's a good, that's a good one. That's my real name. 
<laughs> I'm glad I could be in the long line. It's a blessing and a curse. I guess. Yeah. It's uh, it's unique. It stands out, but like, yeah, the jokes, the jokes write themselves for sure. Although Joe Fantasy is a go-to uh, fantasy team name, so it makes that easy. Nice, nice. Last quick question. Yeah. Who starts at nickel corner. Your prediction? Uh, I think it's gonna be Perry. I think they trade. Really? Him. I think Pete Carroll likes him. Uh, you know, I think Akeem King maybe, but I would assume it's Perry over Ugo. I don't think they would trade for Perry if it wasn't, or if they felt like Ugo's our guy, we're gonna throw him in there. They might see Ugo as more of a safety. Um, Interesting. Again, who knows? That's my take. I, I think when you trade for a guy, um, they did it with Coleman a, a couple years ago. What year was that? It was two years ago? Two years ago. Um, you know, I think there's a reason for it, right? And, I mean, John Schneider, I don't care if they're seventh-round picks. They're not trading away draft picks unless they feel like it's a guy who can help them. And that, especially that late in the game, um, you know, I would, I would expect him to be the guy. Awesome. Hey, Joe, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, tell, tell folks where they can find you and anything they should be looking for coming, coming up from you. Yeah. On Twitter, uh, Joe underscore fan with two N's. Um, and then uh, find my stuff at NBCSportsNorthwest.com. Um, and then uh, tomorrow morning, dropping uh, a, a cool little mini feature on Tyler Lockett, um, kind of a season preview slash a look into how, you know, one of the, the go-to guys or the go-to guy for Russell Wilson is approaching this year. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped about it. He was really great. Love you guys to check that out and share it. And uh, honestly, fellas, uh, appreciate you guys having me on. We'll hopefully uh, get the invite back again uh, at some other point to talk food, football, or whatever else is on your minds. Awesome. Hey, Joe, thank you so much. Uh, have a great rest of your night. Hey, you got it. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate it. Take care. Well, that was uh, that was interesting, guys. I, I think especially the the, the Perry Nickerson uh, take that was one of the things I'm – I kind of picked up in one of the press conferences was uh, Pete Carroll, I think today said something along the lines of uh, Justin Coleman played 42 snaps in his, you know, first game, you know, without much practice. And he was referring to like, you're talking about uh, Ansa and, and Clowney and how much they could play. But the fact that he picked the, the nickel corner that they traded for the week before the season and mentioned that he played in that first week, had me wondering if Nickerson could be in there. And that'd be pretty cool. I would love to see someone other than Akeem King um, uh, in that role, if possible. <laughs> I see the smile, Nathan. Hi, what are you doing? <laughs> missing a piece. It's, it's like oh, a bit. Yeah, I don't know what that's going on, I think. No, no, leave it. It's great. I love it. It's distracting, though. Uh, there it is. Not... <laughs> All right, this is weird. Yeah. Uh, what we're talking about, nickel cornerback? Yeah, I mean, nickel cornerback. I mean, he started two games last year. Um, I think he could he could step in and, and play. Um, uh, sure. I, I'm rooting for Ugo, of course, but it sounds like maybe they really are looking at him mostly as a safety. So. Yeah. Well, um, uh, any other uh, reactions you guys had from stuff we heard from Joe? Um, anything that, that uh, was a surprise or interesting? He is very confident in DK Metcalf. Uh, I think, you know, 750 yards as a floor is a little extreme. Um, but, uh, you know, oh, it's still new to Pete Carroll. Yeah, well, there's that. But <laughs> again, like, uh, I have to go find that old tweet where somebody went and looked at, like, what age 21 receivers had done. And, like, if you look at all the ones that caught more than 500 yards, they're like, all, there's 11 of them and they're all Hall of Famers. And I don't know that any of them, like, got significantly over 600 yards. So, yeah, if uh, DK, you know, catches, what, with a 45 ball for 750 yards, um, holy shit. 
Yeah, right. I mean, um, I think it was telling his confidence did not seem to come from him just like reading the the tea leaves or his interpretation of DK Metcalf. I think he knows <laughs> what he's been hearing and who he's been talking to. And I think he feels on pretty solid ground making that call. And let's face it, I mean, even in the first or second training camp, one of the things I wrote in the notes was they're giving him number one receiver treatment. He was like not involved in the special teams drills. He was over on the side doing what Doug used to do, which was catching passes from the quarterbacks. And uh, they've treated him differently. Uh, hopefully that all works out. But um, there's a lot of evidence that seems to back up that the team does feel that way about DK Metcalf. And if so, think about it, guys. I mean, you got DK Metcalf, who was the hype early on. Then you, you know, you started getting, uh, you know, hype around other players. Marquise Blair started popping. Cody Barton started popping. Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of gone. Amadi obviously got some hype. Gone all the way now. Now Jadavian Clowney and Ezekiel Ansa getting hype. Puna Ford obviously got hype. Think about how many guys have started to get uh, attention. And now, who knows? Come Sunday, DK Metcalf could be the story that – Maybe nobody's talking about, but becomes the story of that game. So, all right, I got to amend my previous comment about the it's uh, wide receivers age 21 that caught more than 600 yards. And the list is 17 long. They actually go well over 600 yards. So Randy Moss did it 1,300 yards, Hall of Famer. Mari Cooper did it 1,000 yards. Obviously looks like a very good player. Mike Evans, 1,000 yards, very good player. Keenan Allen, 1,000 yards. Sammy Watkins, 982. So there's one that's kind of and Watkins might be an interesting comp for, for DK, really. But then you have Juju Smith-Schuster, Josh Gordon, DeAndre Hopkins, Percy Harvin, Hakeem Nix, DJ Moore, Jeremy Macklin, Antonio Bryant, Kenny Britt, Kenny Stills, Andre Reid, and somebody named Ricky Natil. I have no idea who that dude is. Oh, other... Ricky Natil. Yeah, nice. that guy. Yeah, you're dating yourself a little bit. But anyways, cool. uh, obviously, if uh, DK can, you know, belong on this list with these names, uh, he's going to have a lot of... You know, real good things ahead of him. Restate, that's the list of people under age 21 who age caught more 600 yards or more. 600 or more. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that was a pretty, like, almost everyone on that list was a good player, like, for their career. It wasn't just a flash. Yeah, I said Hall of Famers. That's probably, that's, that's too extreme, but, like, definitely pro bowlers and all pros, like, across the board. Yeah. Um. All right, so <laughs> it's week one, guys. Um, let's let's go roundtable here. We'll start with you, Evan, and and uh, go to you next, Jeff. Um, what are you? What is your number one area that you're looking at when you you're looking at this game coming up this weekend? Where's your Where's your eye gonna immediately be following? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think a lot of people are going to be focusing on the defensive line. Um, the defensive line is actually, I think, going to have a good game. The Bengals' offensive line is one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. They drafted a center last year with their first-round pick who's already lost the starting job. It's really a bunch of um, has-beens, you know, tryhards that basically were never good. So I, I think the defensive line will have a, have a productive Sunday, and if they don't, that's really concerning. But the group that I'm actually watching, most curious to watch, is uh, Shaquille Griffin and Trey Flowers, and and you know whoever starts at nickel. 
I really, really am curious to see how this um, corner group pans out. I think, you know, with the addition of Clowney, this pass rush in this interior unit can actually be, be pretty good this year. Um, the question mark is the defensive back group. I, I think safety is actually going to be probably decent. Bradley McDougald is a stud and, you know, who knows Marquise Blair could end up starting by week one or even week two. Um, but the corners is really an interesting group. Shaquille's a complete question mark, you know, had a rough sophomore slump. We'll see if he bounces back in his, in his third year. Um, and Trey Flowers is somebody that's super exciting, you know, drafted fifth or sixth round last year and, and it ended up playing pretty well uh, relative to his draft position. So the corner, cornerback group is definitely a group I'm going to be watching. Jeff, how about you? Yeah, I think Evan brings up a good point that the corners are probably what can make the biggest difference in the season in terms of like that looks like the biggest weakness along with free safety. But to me, I'm not going to overthink it. It's definitely Clowney, a little bit on sub, but I, I'm just – I'm going to be watching Clowney. Evan mentioned it. The, their left tackle is – in concussion protocol, Cordy Glenn, they're missing uh, their left guard, I believe, but I'm just so excited. I'm still over the moon about that trade. I still can't believe that actually happened. I'm still buzzing like we were on Saturday afternoon and the more highlight, I don't know if you guys have seen any of those like Baldinger videos of Clowney last year. There's like plays of him just like tossing Quinn and Nelson and tossing Tyron Smith. Like the Seahawks really haven't had a guy like this since I've been watching the team. And we, we remember how good Averill and Bennett were, these guys are just different kind of athletes. They might not be as productive as Bennett, but just having a guy like Clowney anytime he's on the field, it's just, I don't know how we're going to take our eyes off him. I'm so excited to watch him play. It just, I was excited for this season. I was super excited for this game, but this has taken my excitement levels to completely different places. We said on Saturday, they just, their upside is just completely different with a player like this. Do you have, what's your expectation of where he's going to line up? I think it's going to be the five technique. I think he's going to play there. I don't know what they'll do with him, base package versus nickel plays, but I think he's going to play five technique. And I think maybe Ansa plays more Leo. I think he'll line up probably on the right side of the line. And he'll play a lot because he's runs is one of his best aspects. So he's going to play a lot in base downs. And they're going to have him pin his ears back and rush the passer. They're probably not going to get very complicated with him and stand him up a middle linebacker and some of the stuff they did with him last year. I think they'll ease him in, play him more of a base five technique, rush off the edge on second and third down. And I think he's going to be in there a lot of plays. It sounds like he's very healthy. <laughs> uh, I'll get to you in a second here, Nathan. Uh, you're up next. But uh, Dwayne Brown had a great interview today. And one of the things he said that I hadn't even like let my brain conceive of was, oh, yeah, like they, you know, he can line up against the guard, which, you know, play inside, which I knew he could do. And people have been saying he can't, but I, I think it makes a lot of sense that he can. He's like, yeah, we could, we could put Clowney right next to Ansa. I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> that would be really fun to watch. Uh, and that could be a real handful for, uh, you know, a side of a line to deal with. We've seen that highlight of Cam Chancellor knocking over Eric Winston so many times. Clowney does that pretty regularly. If you watch his highlights, he just throws offensive linemen, like throwing Quentin Nelson over. Like that guy might be the best guard in the league in one year. Watching him just toss him over. I was pretty like astounded by that play. I didn't know he was like, what you remember Justin Smith from the Niners? So he, the kind of stuff he used to do, he just blew up blocks. And that Clowney is that with a lot more athleticism. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, Nathan, where is your eye going to be? What's your what's your going to be your focus point uh, come Sunday? The things I'm most excited to see are obviously Ziggy and Jadavian, um, and then DK. Uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine that there's any Seahawks fan that those two aren't like the top two things I'm most excited to see. Uh, the things I'm most interested to see uh, is, like Evan said, you know, the DBs, see how the corners look, see what happens at Nickelback, see if Ugo gets any run. Um, and, you know, I, I'm interested to see – I'm excited to see DK. I'm interested to see what DK can do along with other receivers. Um, and, yeah, just to see where that group is right now because after Tyler, it's – um, kind of underwhelming. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of potential, uh, but there's a, a bunch of question marks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'm I'm right there with you guys. I I have thought about it probably, you know, ten or fifteen times since the trade about the moment when he gets announced on the uh, Jadavian Clowney gets announced in CenturyLink Field and what that stadium is going to be like. It's going to be electric. I mean, I think. The timing of this trade, the lopsidedness of this trade, the um, the the position that he plays. I mean, I think you could argue the, C- the Seahawks fans have not had a defense where they could really like get behind as much as I think that there's a reason to get behind this defense for a few years. I mean, you've got Michael Kendricks and Bobby Wagner, and and everyone knows about KJ Wright already, but you know, Clowney and Ansa. I think it's a. I think it's not unreasonable to say that the the two pass rushers they've got on the edges could be the two best they've had during the Pete Carroll era. They have the potential to be the best. Um, I mean, Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill are fantastic, and they're the best until until somebody knocks them off. But I think you know if 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 Hansa stays healthy and per- performs to his level he has, um, I think there's a chance that these guys could be better. Um, so definitely looking forward to seeing that. I, I'm also, man, I cannot wait to see Puna Ford. I think this guy, you know, he's, he's going to be in the shadow a little bit and he could end up just blowing up in this game. I mean, against that interior line. Um, and then definitely nickel corner. I'm super curious. I think that's a, if you're looking forward, that's going to, what, how that position plays could have a huge impact on how, the the ceiling or floor for this defense and if nickerson looks like he's potentially decent if, and, and if that's the guy that plays it's a big question mark a really big question mark that gets answered and all of a sudden things start snapping into place so those are a few um i would also throw out i mean i am hoping against hope that that the team uses cj Procise uh as a third down back or as a two minute <laughs> that they find uh, Evan leave like, yeah, Evan just couldn't even handle that part of the conversation. But when he gets an idea in his head, he just can't get off of it. I know. I, I just – I would be disappointed if all the snaps went to Penny and Carson and they didn't look for a way to at least find out if uh, ProSites could give them a little bit more. So those yeah, are some of the things. Jesus Christ, we're on this again. We are. We're absolutely on this. Dude, you might as well play him while he's healthy because, you know, he could hurt himself you after. Play the, you want to play the fourth best running back on the roster? Now you're changing your argument because you never – you've tried to make that case before. You know he's the second best running back on the roster now. Now you're just worried that he's going to play and you're going to have to eat it the whole whole year. Durability is a skill. 
Yeah, yeah. We're not going to go down that path. So, so, well, so yeah, go ahead, Nathan. Uh, I don't th- I mean, he could get that the same run that Davis got, right? I mean, they did juggle three guys, and Davis was their two-minute guy. And so I hope to God Shoddy finds a little bit more creative ways to use him than asking him to run, like, two yards past the line of scrimmage and turn around. Uh, but I think that even if that's the case, he'll do more with it than Mike Davis will, for as long as he's healthy. Exactly. That was that was going to be my next point. We all talked about defense corners. I think that one of the things I guess would be next on my list is I'm interested to see how they run the offense. I thought they did more progressive things on early downs when the first string offense was out there. I don't know if I was misleading or I don't, you guys might have, but I thought they, they looked a little more interesting than they had looked the last year. And we'll see what happens when Pete takes over and his instincts take over, but I'm interested to see if it's the same offensive last year or they start to open it up a little more, right? What's your bet guys. I mean, I'll, I'll throw out there some questions I had related to that, which is, look, last year there were some debates among fans, but it's pretty clear what the narrative is in the in the VMAC, which is the first two games of the season, they got away from their identity, they passed the ball too much, and they didn't run the ball enough. And when they went to running, they felt like they refound, they rediscovered themselves. I'm not saying – I happen to agree with that relative to last year, but – You could make the case that Pete Carroll's like, yep, we're not going to make that mistake again. We're going to come out and be, you know, reestablish our identity in this game. Or you could say, you know, they're going to, they're going to take the step that Jeff's talking about and they're going to look a little different. If you had to bet, we'll start with you, Evan. What do you expect to see from the offense in terms of how the plays are called? That's a really good question. Um, I'd like to see more play action. Uh, I think we will see more play action. I think we saw that in preseason. I think Pete Carroll has talked about it quite a bit in press conferences. Um, you know, I just want more play action. I, 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 you know, everybody, you know, harps on, on running the ball and everything like that and the identity, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Russell Wilson is the best play action uh, you know, passer in the NFL. They need to run more play action. You look through play action pass, you know, snaps of Russell Wilson, he's balling out every single time. So my singular hope is more play action. I really need a gif of Evan suddenly looking into the camera. I just want more play action. That was great. <laughs> I think that'd be useful. Some make internet, make it happen. Uh, I would also like more play action. And I would also like fewer runs, but I don't think, I mean, you're asking some fairly old dogs at this point to learn new tricks. And I just, you know, a lot of people said, you know, have said that, you know, oh, well, it was a receiver talent last year. Like, I mean, I, I don't know if their receiver talent got better. They got more interesting. They got more potential, but they got younger. And, you know, Gary Jennings is one of their receivers and he hasn't done anything at this point. Um, People said that it was the offensive line. You know, I, I don't know. People made a lot of excuses for the way they called plays last year, but like, I think the fact of the matter is, it wasn't that like out of character for them, and they were very uh, vocal about it being their identity. So, um, I would expect them to do what they did last year. You guys know that Russell Wilson was fifth in the NFL in percentage of passes that were play action, right? Yeah, but more. <laughs> just saying they do it when they when they pass they are a heavy play action team so 
I think you guys are saying you want them to pass more and, and, and you want even a higher percentage. I mean, they were at 31% um, play action on dropbacks. Uh, Jared Goff led the NFL at 35%. So you're talking about a 4% difference. It's meaningful, but it's not like, not like I, mean, I think that this is one where like, I would, I would think this is one where coaches and nerds could align a little bit and like, really coaches could really push the limit on play action. Um, I would love to see a team run like more than half of their passing plays out of that play action. I don't know what that's going to look like necessarily, uh, but everything that we have points to play action being very good. And I think play action, I think last year was uh, the league big jump in the number of plays that were play action. I think I could be yep. right. Uh, and I would love to see coaches continue to push that and just see how much they can do it. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, I mean, he was equal with Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, Andy Reid's quarterback in terms of percentage of play action. Now, again, total number of attempts, hundred attempt different, but but uh, yeah, and I don't think this is one where it's a criticism of Shoddy, right? Like yeah, like yeah. you're saying, like he's up there with the other, you know, really good offensive minds in the league. So this was one where it was really a positive with him. Um, but I just think that you, all the coaches in the NFL can push this a lot more, and it'll be interesting to see if they do. Um, Jeff, what about you? You know, I know you, 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 so you're saying you brought this topic up. You, you said that you, you noticed some things that seemed different in preseason. If you had to bet, how much of a change are you expecting to see in that first, first game this week? If I had to bet, I would bet very little. Mm. And for the same reason Nathan said, I, when Pete Carroll and Brian Schottenheimer are running your offense, I just assume that they're going to stick with what they've done their entire career and they're, Pete's on the older side of his <laughs> compared to other coaches. He doesn't seem he's much more in terms of adapting much different defensively, offensively. He kind of sticks in his beliefs despite evidence pointing the other way. But if I had to bet, obviously I would go with that just based on how they, I, I'm not hoping they've learned from what defeated them last year in the playoffs because they took the ball out of their best players hands and they weren't a great team last year, but that was just such a frustrating game from a process point and from a, strategic points so i'm hoping they've learned i'm hoping they are really i'm i'm fine with running it's just i think evan wrote this in one of our articles earlier just run smarter don't run on second and 20 don't run second 10 beat your head against the wall chris carson's a good player they have a good run blocking line just run smarter open up on first down make the second down and rely less on third downs that's the biggest thing is russell's percentages on third down were probably unsustainable last year with a lesser receiving core now I'd like to see them just play smarter overall and yeah, play action on first down, do that as much as possible because this is kind of a sketchy receiving core and they're not going to win typical one-on-one routes all the time. So throw deception in there. That's going to open up things up for the tight ends for Jerron Brown. He's probably not the kind of guy who's going to win a lot of one-on-one routes. You know, Go ahead. Oh yeah. Uh, talking about things that might change. Um, it's preseason. So it's hard to know. Uh, but Ben Baldwin, um, friend of the pod, uh, uh, wrote an article the other day about um, talking mostly just about sacks and how they're primarily a quarterback stat. More, and I think a lot of people think of them as offensive line stats. But um, uh, yeah, they're, they're 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 at least you know mostly or primarily or you know the the first person to blame is really the quarterback in most cases. Um, but anyway, so he was showing um, some clips of last preseason versus this preseason. Um, where Russell was taking some really deep drops. 
And in comparison to uh, this preseason where he was taking much fewer of those, especially at a shotgun, he was taking like five steps drops at a shotgun and then like, you know, a Fetty would get obliterated because he was so deep at that point. Um, and so that could be a change um, where that could be an indication of a change where maybe they're going to do the same thing, but maybe they're going to try to be mindful of that and they're going to tweak that a little bit and be careful about how what position they put the, the tackles in. I thought that Russell looked pretty good in the preseason just in terms of like pocket awareness and all that. Um, so he may be unlearning some bad habits too, just um, actually having a somewhat stable line in front of him now for uh, you know, over a year. So um, Russell's stats are going to be a big thing to watch. And I think play calling and, and Russell are, are big factors in that. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. I mean, I 100% agree about Russell looking better. Like he looked more confident, more crisp. And I'm not even above uh, like assuming it's beyond maturation with knowing Schottenheimer's offense and their communication. I think, you know, this is the first year that he's got no known, you know, haters or like people on the team that, that kind of like subtweet him in some way. And he might just be like finally able to, to take the, the reins as the leader of the team without having to look over his shoulder and whatever it is, I noticed a difference. And, um, you know, I, I do a thing I've started doing thing the last couple of years where I, I do a rough uh, scouting grade for, for each position on the team and compare it to where they were last year. And, you know, if, if five is an all pro and all pro is top two or three at the position in the, in the league and a four is a, a pro bowler, one of the best in the conference, you know, I had Russell at like a four and a half last year. And I think, I think it's realistic to, to that he might, step into the five range. He might be one of the two best quarterbacks in the game or one of the three best quarterbacks in the game this year. I mean, do, do any of you guys feel like that's just total homerism and, 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 and unrealistic or, or, uh, you know, do you think that's possible? I think it's hundred percent there for him. I mean, and really it's just like what we're talking about here. It's just the sacks, right? That's really the last hurdle for him. Um, it's what hurts the most in things like QBR and the advanced stats. And so if, if he can, for whatever reason, whether it's just maturation in Shadi's system, better play calling from, or tweak play calling from Shadi, or just more confidence in the line, or just like, he does just generally like a, a little bit of a different person than he was a few years ago, whatever it all might be, if, if he can get that under control, then yeah, I mean, he's got as much talent as basically any quarterback in the league. So we haven't talked that much about um, uh, the offensive line. And uh, I'm kind of curious for you guys. Story here is uh, Mike Yapati um, has been injured. First he had the ankle, he's in a boot, then he got out of the boot, and then he, he's appeared to injure his calf. Um, and that's actually what's been keeping him out. His ankle supposedly is okay. And he went through walkthroughs today, and there's some indication he's trying to get back this week. First question to you, Evan, do you want to see if he can, like, if he feels like he can play, do you want to see him play this week? Or, you know, would you prefer to see uh, Ethan Posick uh, get that start this week? I want him to get rested and come back fully healthy. I do not want to rush him, especially against the Bengals. I think the Bengals is a game 
where we should win this game. And if we don't win this game by 10 or more points, we should have problems. Um, I think, you know, over the next few weeks, they have some really big teams they're facing, some really good defensive lines, the Rams, you know, the Browns in a few weeks, the Cardinals, the, the, uh, the, uh, the Saints in a couple of weeks, the Steelers, like our offensive line has got to be clicking on all cylinders for those games. So I would rather him take the extra week and come back healthier. Um, Posick is, I, I, I mean, it's not going to make or break the game. I don't think, you know, those, the difference between those two types of players. And, and I just think we need Iopati for those other, uh, those, you know, upcoming weeks. Jeff, where are you at on this? How, how do you want to see the, them handle the line situation? I'm the same way. Uh, Iopati has like serious durability issues over the last couple of seasons. It's hard to expect them to play 16 games. So Posick has looked good in preseason. I'll bet we've said that before. He's a better pass protector, which is what we're all hoping for. Then your potty probably is not the kind of mauling run blocker, big kind of guy, but it, it sounds just from watching him and from the P talking, it sounds like he has gotten more core strength, which is the biggest issue with him. He gets pushed over a lot and he gets bullied a lot. And uh, Geno Atkins is playing here week one. That's kind of a scary matchup. But I would like to see if that's real. I would like to see if he has gone stronger, if he can hold the point of attack, because he's a pretty good pass protector. He was awful. One of the worst players on the field in that Niners game last year on the road. And all those penalties and mistakes against Buckner was really problematic. But I want to see if it's real. And I, I'm like Evan. I want to see them take caution with Ayupati. Don't rush him back. And they need him for those Bengals, the upcoming stretch they have where they got – Steelers and Saints coming up in the next two weeks. So, Nathan, we yeah, the, the Seahawks are favored by nine and a half points in this game, which should make Seahawks fans feel pretty uncomfortable. I, I looked back. There's been two times uh, in, I think, Seahawks history that they've been favored by nine and a half points in week one at, at, um, uh, at home, I think it is. Maybe it's ever in the first week of the season. And – Two games were 2014 um, against the Packers, um, and they covered that. Actually, sorry, no, it was against the Dolphins in 2016 when Russ hurt himself. Wow, that was the worst game. By 10.5 points, and they won 12 to 10. Awful game. And the other game was starting against Geno Atkins in a game that is the same point spread or, or similar point spread to that Dolphins game. Though that was a different, that wasn't week one, but that was a similar situation. Um, they were nine and a half points favorites to the Lions in 1999 and uh, lost that game 28 to 20. And I think that was Mike Holmgren's first game as coach of the Seahawks. So they have not had a good track record when favored by this many points. What do you think if you're, if you're trying to stoke fears in the hearts of Seahawks fans, um, what are the what's the story of of how the Bengals rise up in this game? Where where do they potentially have an advantage where they could could take the game here? I mean, I think I just said it. I think their their hope is that Atkins demolishes Posick and rolls up on Russ's ankle or something like. <clears throat> I mean, uh, I this, this Bengals team does not look very good. Like. 
uh, I mean, and they weren't very good last year. So I'm I'm scrolling through their uh, their roster right now, and uh, I mean, maybe John Ross gets it together, and they've you know uh, that Dolphins game, same thing, right? Didn't Stills get loose on them a couple times? Mm-hmm. And I think, so. um, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he got missed a couple times uh, by Tannehill. Right. He was yeah. wide open. Yeah. So there you go. Maybe it's just a repeat of that Dolphins game where something terrible happens and John Ross is running free and yeah, suddenly they lose. I there's uh I'll be pretty surprised if they lose this game. I mean, it's the NFL and given Sunday, yada yada yada, but like nine what do you say, nine and a half points? Seems about right. So Yeah. Um Evan or Jeff, uh, you know, Tyler Eifert. I mean, there was a, the last time the Seahawks played the Bengals, they were up 24 to 7 in Cincinnati. Anyone remember that game? I hated that game. Gave it away in the fourth. It was Kerry Williams. Williams was covering AJ Green. Was that the year where we collapsed like multiple times in the fourth quarter? Yes. 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 Gave yes. out a bunch of leads. But man, if, I don't know if you guys remember, the Bengals were really good back then. That was one of the best teams in the NFL. Like they, they had. Were. They had a run of drafts, which was very good. Like, they had Marvin Jones and Sanua receiver. They had Whitworth at left tackle. They were loaded on defense. That was a good Bengals team. The Seahawks were right there. Like, that was just the worst game. I remember that's They were up 24-7. It looked – oh, I hated that game. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I've been watching Bengals Twitter, you know, reliving that game as one of their best their best memories. <laughs> it's not, definitely not, <laughs> not one of our best memories. So with all that in mind, let, let's kind of go round table here and, and go with some predictions uh, of what you're expecting to see in this game. And uh, who, who, who wants to be courageous and go first? I'll go first. I think, I think, uh, I think Russell has a game. I think he throws for three or four touchdowns. I think DK Metcalf has at least one. Um, I think the offense is clicking on all cylinders. And I actually think this is going to be a game where um, the defense doesn't play so hot and it'll be a surprise. And the Bengals will probably put up 17, 20 plus points. And and the Seahawks will just score 30 mid thirties plus. Like I I think this is actually going to be higher scoring than people realize. Um, But I think DK Metcalf is going to be the star of Sunday. I really do believe that. Well, so let's do this. You you kind of did it. Your 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 bold prediction for for uh, what's going to happen. DK Metcalf, two touchdowns. DK Metcalf. And what's the final score of the game? Uh, 34-20. All right, Jeff, your uh, your bold player prediction and final score. Okay, bold player prediction. John Ursua leads the team in catches. Whoa. Holy cow. Um, John, that doesn't, or uh, Jeff, that doesn't, that doesn't bode well for our nacho bet. No, it's game <laughs> one. Game one. Um, I'm expecting a very frustrating game that the Seahawks should be killing the whole time and they end up shooting themselves in the foot like every other early season Seahawks game in the Pete Carroll era where the first three quarters make you want to slam your head against the wall and then eventually – the fourth quarter, they're able to pull away. They hit a big play or they get a sack and strip sack or something. And they pull it out in the fourth quarter. I'm hoping I'm wrong, but I've watched 10 years of Pete Carroll football. And 
I just have seen this game happen way too many times and I'm expecting the worst. I'm a pessimist. So wait, say that again. I, I was, I was thinking about my own predictions when you said it, what was your prediction for score? That the Seahawks win 24, 16 in a frustrating, frustrating game. Okay. Have their openers um, really been that bad? I'm trying to go back and look. Uh, obviously, uh, you're have a terrible opening opening week record in general. Even 2013, they won 13-9. Where Jermaine Curse had to like jump over someone in the end was zone. That the Panthers game? Yeah, there was that game. They kicked the Packers' ass the next year. 2014, they did. Yeah. 15, they lost the Rams. That stupid overtime game. Oh, yeah, that might have even been like the Austin Davis game. Yes, something like that. 16 was the Sioux game. 17 was the Naz Jones interception ruled back game where Jeremy Lane gets. These games stink. <laughs> what was last year? Last year was that Denver game. Well, that was kind of fun, actually. Yeah, they lost, though. But that was kind of a fun game, at least. Um, they lost to a bad team. 2012 was Russell's first game, which was. That was a tough Arizona. one. Yeah. yeah. People say I'm, I'm, I'm all negative, but the only the only opener I remember is that one where they obliterated the Packers. And so. Yeah, I hope it's like that. They, like they, they have a great first uh, opening week record. So what's what's what do you expect? Give me your bold prediction from a player, uh, Nathan, and, and what's your score that you're expecting to see? Uh, well, score, uh, I'll go like 27-17 something like that. I can see this game being kind of similar to the Lions game last year. Um, maybe not quite that lopsided, but it might be something like that. Um, hmm, bold prediction, bold prediction. Um, I don't know. I want to uh, I got one for Evan here. CJ Prosize rushes for 100 yards. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so amazing. Break him. <laughs> that's exactly what everyone would look like. He would actually be disappointed if that happened. That that's what's so messed up about it. I would be disappointed because it would mean that Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, and Travis Homer all died. That's what it means. That's what it would mean. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. First of all, all right. Well, I said bold. So if I think it's an honest, like fun prediction, maybe I'd say a hundred scrimmage yards. Yeah, uh, to get the receiving stuff in there, that that actually doesn't seem crazy, but like he could just bust off another like you know seventy plus yard run, and you know, and then he's right there because he's got the capability of doing that, unlike other players. Yeah, and last one rep, and they get injured for the rest of the year. Oh, yeah, so I I'm gonna <laughs> go with with uh, maybe something a little bit more, maybe a little less surprising. I think Jadavian Clowney's gonna get three sacks. I think he's going to go off and he's just going to have a crazy first game. And if I was going to add one more, I think Puna Ford is going to have at least three tackles for loss in this game. Um, So I think the defensive line is just going to eat on Sunday. And I think it's going to be fantastic to watch. I tend to be conservative with opening week because of all the things that Jeff said and all the Seahawks. It's not just Pete Carroll era. It's just always tough opening week, but at home against this team with the makeup of the the Seahawks team, I've got the Seahawks. I was going to go 29, 17. So Nathan and I are pretty similar. Uh, and, and I think the Seahawks win pretty comfortably. Uh, Minor little tidbit, uh, one of those oddities. The the Bengals last year were 
winless when they scored less than 22 points and the Seahawks were undefeated when they held their opponents under 22 points. So 22 points, let's keep them under that number and, and the Seahawks should be in good shape. Is 29 a missed extra point from Jason Myers? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That wasn't on my mind. I'm thinking Jason Myers is going to hit a 58 yarder or longer field goal on Sunday. All right. I think that's possible. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, we're just going to ignore that Jason Myers and Blair Walsh had basically the same preseason for the, for the Seahawks. We're just gonna Even players, uh, players can get better. Did you know that, Nathan? No, players don't change, actually, Evan. Yeah, haven't you heard this? Play, players improve, despite Play, what the spreadsheets may say. Players don't change. Possible. Oh, yeah, but kickers really aren't players. Yeah. Go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> that kickers really aren't players. So maybe, they, <laughs> maybe they're outliers. I will say, speaking of kickers, I will rest a little bit easier if Michael Dixon looks like Michael Dixon come, come Sunday. Like, hopefully he doesn't even get out there very often, but – I want to see I want to see Michael Dixon punts um, that are are of his his quality. I, I was pretty jealous of the 49ers place kicker and the tackle he made on coverage. The Australian rules guy like Dixon has got to represent Australian rules football a little bit better. I mean the, the tackle we saw him have like he got flagged for and he's got to he's got to bring that a little bit more. Um, all right, guys, anything else you want to cover before we wrap it up for the night? Still bullish on the Niners? That's a great question. I was going to ask Joe what he thought. Yeah, I, I, I was going to – I wish you could have had a little more time. We'll have him on again for sure. We'll talk. But I wanted to hear him compare and contrast the two um, teams and, and the, the environments a little bit more and, and get a little more insight into that. I think – I mean, look, the 49ers, they have – I think a lot of quality on that defensive side of the ball. Uh, I think their, their secondary is decent. And I think their defensive line is really good, really good. Um, so I think they could be tough. I don't know what to think about Jimmy Garoppolo, but I have a ton of respect for Kyle Shanahan. I think if it was me and I know I'm on the minority and I don't care, I think Kyle Shanahan's a better offensive mind than Sean McVay. And I think we'll, we'll have more, has more varied offense and is tougher to defend over time. I think, I think people are going to start catching up with McVay and maybe he'll come up with a different offense as a result. But um, I think Kyle Shanahan, with what he did with their quarterback and that talent last year, I think they're going to be tough, but yeah. What about you guys? They got to prove it. I, I am so tired of hearing that this is the 49ers year. This is like the, the fifth, sixth year of it. Stop it. Everybody's crowning Jimmy Garoppolo off like a four-game sample size. Stop it. Make him prove himself. The Niners jumped the gun. They extended him to, what, $28 million a year. Yes, the contract is super easy to get out of, classic 49ers style with how they negotiated that contract. But I'm not sold on that team yet. I, I agree with you, Brian. Kyle Shanahan is a stud. Maybe one of the best coaches in the NFC West, honestly. Could, I think you could make an argument he's number two or number three, um, just as a coach in general. But they got to prove it to me first. I mean, rank the NFC West coaches. Rank the NFC West coaches, yeah. yeah I mean, what, what is your ranking? 
all coaches like NFC West head coaches head coach oh, oh the head coaches oh uh, no I want no like, not change your mind I want you to do all of them all the way down through like hiding coaches <laughs> and uh is this based on career you, you base it oh how about on which coaches that you'd want oh yeah if you were starting a, a team today who what order would you pick the NFC West coaches Kyle Shanahan, number one. Sean McVay. Two or three for Shanahan. <laughs> and he's he's moved up to number one, baby. Okay, all right. <laughs> In that short amount of time. Wow. Kyle Shanahan. Like minute and a half there. <laughs> players improve or coaches improve just like players. Shanahan's number one. I'd probably go McVay number two. Pete number three, and uh, Cliff whatever his name number four. Good answer your own question, Nathan. Nope. <laughs> I mean, well, I got to say, I mean, if you just look at the 49ers defensive line, you've got D Ford, DeForest Buckner, Arik Armstead, and Sheldon Day. And that's without Nick Bosa because Nick Bosa's out um, with his ankle injury for at least a little while. But if you have Nick Bosa and D Ford on on opposing sides and then you've got you know DeForest Buckner in the middle that's that's a handful that's gonna be a weaker version of the Seahawks line I don't I mean I hope so um but those guys are good those guys I mean those are they have definitely have talent so um uh last thing I do we do have to talk about before we let go because it was big other NFC West news uh Mr. Goff signed his deal uh Start with you, Evan. Uh, anything that you noticed about the the numbers or anything that, that stood out to you about that contract? Great question. Um, slightly above Carson Wentz in uh, APY and guarantees. I believe it was um, just a few million dollars over, what was it, $110 million, I think, was the, was the total guarantee on the deal that was reported. Um, the rest of the contract structure has not been has not been leaked or reported on yet. At least I haven't seen it. Uh, my short, quick thoughts are that's a lot of money for a player that I'm not sh- sure will be very good moving forward. I'm, I, I mean, I'm not convinced that Jared Goff is like a like a top ten quarterback. Like I, I think I think there's a good argument to be made that he's like top fifteen, but I really don't think he's like a top ten quarterback. And investing that type of money in him. Um, I, I mean, I get it. You're not going to let him walk as a franchise, but also as a Seahawks fan, I'm pretty happy. Yeah, Nathan or Jeff, uh, we'll start with you, Jeff. What was your reaction when you saw the deal? I was pretty excited. I think. <laughs> uh, it's so bad. It's true. Everyone's like. To give know. $32 million to him and all the money they're giving Gurley, I think you could argue this is the beginning of the end of them. And they're going to be tough because they got Aaron Donald. McVay looks like a pretty good coach. And, but I just don't think Jared Goff is today. I compared him. I think he's Alex Smith with a better system around him. And Alex Smith was a fine quarterback. He gave the Seahawks trouble over the years, but I just don't think he's a game changing player. I think he's a, and once they can't pay all these receivers anymore and Andrew Withworth with triers, it's going to be interesting to see what he does. So I'm, I'm pretty excited. I wanted them to give him even more money. And honestly, it makes the Russell Wilson deal look so much better. 
I know people were like going crazy about that. The money isn't too different. It's a couple million dollars off. And just the skill between those two is remarkably different. I'm just hoping Goff is the kind of player we think he is and he's not going to get better. Hopefully Nathan's right that players don't change because then Jared Goff is just a guy and who couldn't score any points in the Super Bowl. So Nathan, I, I actually, I, I mean, I can't stand Jared Goff drives me nuts. Um, and I love making fun of him because he just seems like such a doofus, but he, he's made some damn good throws. I mean, uh, good offense or not, he's made some throws that have been pretty impressive uh, from my perspective and on throws that I wish he was not making so I could feel like he was uh, a lot worse. I think he's better than Alex Smith. But uh, I guess my question for you, Nathan, is with that contract, with the Todd Gurley deal, which has got to be one of the worst deals in the NFL, with Andrew Whitworth contemplating retirement going into this year, decent chance he'll be playing his last season this year. John Sullivan, I think, already did retire, or maybe I'm wrong there. Do you think that it's reasonable to expect that the Rams have peaked and that they are going to slide back over the next couple of years? Yeah, sure. I mean, one of the biggest competitive advantages you can have in the NFL is having a, a good or capable, in Goff's case, um, quarterback on a rookie deal. And they took a lot of advantage of that. They did a great job with it. Um, and so their margin of error just got that much thinner, right? Um, and yeah, I think uh, uh, they peaked. I mean, they're going to deal with the same challenges now that the Seahawks have, though, right? So maybe it's more level footing than really like falling back behind uh, the pack. We'll see. Um, one of the things that was really interesting with this is that with Goff looking like kind of like Evan said, top 15, but probably not top 10. Um, and McVay, you know, having re the reputation that he has, um, it was it was really interesting to see if the Rams are going to be the first team to not pay their okay but not great quarterback, great quarterback money, right? Um, and they didn't. They chose to pay Goff and instead of try to you know churn that position a little bit and see what what they could do with just McVay coaching guys up and using that scheme. Um, so that for me was the was the biggest. Uh, the most interesting thing to come out of that is that, you know, they followed suit and they followed the NFL and, and they paid their guy and it's hard to blame them. Um, but there was an opportunity there for them to do something kind of innovative and maybe leverage, uh, you know, strengths that they have in their coaching staff and they, they didn't go that route. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right, guys. Um, I think we'll, uh, we will take it, uh, take it from there. Oh, you know, we did not because Jeff could not make the prediction pod. Uh, can we go through really, really quickly? You guys have a few minutes to have Jeff go through and give us his predictions for absolutely uh, the season. All right, hold on. I got to pull up the. Don't show Mars. Don't show Mars though. He has, he's got to do it blind. Okay. All right. All right. Hold on. One sec. Um. So Jeff. Uh, Hopefully you didn't, maybe you probably did, but I listened, but I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> Good. It's all... voice was the dominant memory of that podcast. <laughs> oh my God. It's really been disappointing. I keep kind of trying to make this take a little longer, hoping that Nathan's voice changes again. Like, is there some sort of Seahawks puberty he can go through? Uh, 
I think it's my internet that needs to go through puberty. If it gets, if it slows down enough and I get that that thing, I think that's what it was. Oh, it was so funny. I, I've listened to that like four times because I was laughing so hard. Um, all right. So, Jeff, are you ready? Go. At home versus Cincinnati. We already know you said it's a win. Win. Okay. So, uh, at Pittsburgh, Sunday at 10 a.m., week two. I say a loss. Loss. All right. Uh, versus New Orleans at home, uh, 125 in week three. I say win. Win. Okay. Um, sorry, hold on. I got to change something here. Win, loss, win. Um, at Arizona, one o'clock on Sunday. Win. Blow a win. Win. Home against the Rams. 520 Thursday, Thursday night game. I'll go with a win. Win. At the upstart Cleveland Browns, week six, 10 a.m. game. I say a loss. Loss. Uh, home against Baltimore, 125 game. Win. Win. At the Atlanta Falcons, 10 a.m. game. I say loss. Loss. Uh, home against Tampa Bay, one o'clock start. Win. Ugh, Bruce Arians. <laughs> oh gosh. I hate Bruce Arians. About that. That's gonna be. That's gonna be interesting. Uh, at San Francisco, Monday night game, five o'clock. Win. Win. Uh, then after the bye, so this is week twelve at Philadelphia, Sunday night football, five twenty p.m. I say loss. Ooh. All right. Uh, home against Minnesota, Monday night game. So we go from a Sunday night game to a Monday night game. This is win. Wait, I like this pass rush against Kirk Cousins. Win uh, at the LA Rams Sunday night. So man, we go. We go. Listen to this. Actually, I don't know if you guys know this. Week ten, we go Monday night. Then we have a bye. Then it's at Philadelphia Sunday night. Then we go home on a Monday night. And then this week fourteen is a Sunday night game. So four primetime games in a row. That, I don't think I've ever seen that. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, all right. So at the Rams, Sunday night football. Loss. Loss. At Carolina, 10 a.m. game. Win. Uh, home against the Cardinals, 125 start. Win. And home against the 49ers, 125 start. I'll say win. Win. All right. Do you have a rough guess of what you think you predicted for a record? 11 and 5, 12 and 4, somewhere in there. You are correct, 11 and 5. Um, and interestingly, if I look through this, uh, where we've had most disagreement at Pittsburgh, two of us have predicted wins, Evan and I, two of us, two predicted losses, Nathan and Jeff. Um, interesting that three of the four of us have predicted a home win against the Saints um that's gonna be a tough one they've done well against them in the past yeah yeah um and then let's see we've got uh home against los angeles again it's a 2-2 split nathan and evan are are predicting a loss jeff and i have them as a win i think that's yeah full, full coin flip game i think uh at cleveland three of the four of us predict a loss nathan the optimist comes through with the win i, I was talking to a friend uh, about this this is the kind of game that like Pete Carroll is going to be jacked and excited and whatever else. Pete Carroll lives 
to SmackDown like upstarts like this. He's going to be very excited to go out and ruin the Browns day. And I think he will do it. I, I'll tell you, I have a lot more confidence in their ability to do it with this defense than, than I did uh, a week ago, but I still got that as a loss. All of us have them winning at home against Baltimore. That's a tough team. Uh, that defense especially is really good. Yeah. I think they match up well. They don't, I think the teams that can beat Seattle are the teams that can pass the ball really well because free safety corner is their weakness. I think Pete against Lamar Jackson on a team that has like no receivers. I think that's a good matchup for them. Uh, I think we both had them losing to the Falcons. Well, yeah. Three of the four of us have them losing to the Falcons in Atlanta. I'm the only one that's got that as a win. Um, uh, let's see what else. So for two and two at Philadelphia, Nathan and Evan have those as wins. Jeff and I have that as a loss. Um, all of us are predicting that they're going to beat the Vikings at home. Um, Monday night football Vikings are a lot of people talking about as a potential contender. Um, three of the four of us have them losing at the Rams on Sunday night football. Evan's the one guy that's got that as a win. And then all of us have them finishing the season with a three game winning streak. So uh, the two most pessimistic people of, of the four of us are Jeff and Nathan at 11 and five. So that's interesting. Evan's still captain optimist at 13 and three. I've got him at 12 and four. Jeff, what is the final game of the season that the Seahawks play in? What, what round? Oh, wow. That's a hard one. I say the divisional round in the playoffs. Divisional. All right. You and Nathan are like identical. Identical. Evan and I have him going to the NFC championship. That would be awesome. And I I have to say, I feel like I feel very chicken shit about that because if the Seahawks get to the NFC championship, most likely they probably will have had at least a buy and home field advantage. If they have home field advantage in their NFC championship, they're going to go to the Super Bowl. I don't care who they're playing. So I guess the way the way to interpret my prediction of the NFC Championship is somehow they're going to be on the road for that game, um, and uh, we'll see. But hey, fellas, I think uh, I think that'll do it for tonight. Uh, man, I am super excited for Sunday. Thank you uh, for everyone that tuned in. We've been getting a ton of new patrons, so folks, if you haven't already, it's a great time to sign up. Patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com/slash/hawkblogger. Uh, as we showed you today, we are going to be break, trying to get a bunch of awesome guests on uh, throughout the season. Uh, you guys supporting us is a big part of how we can pull that off, as well as, you know, it's it's Cable Thanos time. It is uh, Will, Rain City Series time. There's going to be a lot of great video content coming. Could use your guys' help getting things set up. Um, and if not that, for whatever reason... Give us a subscription um, on YouTube. Uh, subscribe to the channel. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Uh, subscribe on iTunes. Listen to the stuff on Spotify, wherever you want to listen to it. And uh, just tell people about it. Talk it up. And uh, we'd appreciate your support. So thanks to everybody. Uh, enjoy week one and uh, go Hawks. <laughs>